little boy um, was playing baseball, and a man came up to him and asked him, you know, what the score of the game was. The little boy responded and said, we're losing 18 to nothing. 18 to nothing. And the man said, oh, man, I bet you're really discouraged. And the little boy responded and said, why should I be discouraged? My team hasn't even gotten up to bat yet. (laughs) Sometimes it's a matter of perspective. Do we dwell on what is presently true, or do we view our circumstances of what could be, what can be? You see, the boy wasn't too concerned about the current reality because he believed that when his team got up to bat, the result would drastically change. And I'm sure you've heard this quote before from Claire Booth, and it goes something like this. There are no hopeless situations. There are only men and women who have grown hopeless about them. And so how do we react and view our circumstances, especially when things do not go as planned? Do we just seem to toss in the towel, we give up, we complain, we, we point the finger? Or do we buckle down and we persevere through uncertainty? Do we have a hopeful outlook that God is in control, God still has a plan? Now, if I'm being honest, initially, when things do not go as planned, I tend to dwell on the negative. I tend to dwell on the negative, I, and, and it affects my hopefulness. I'm typically not too hopeful in the solutions or in the circumstances go- that are going on. I tend to think that nothing good will really come from this. But I'm thankful for my wife, Mariah, who challenges me to have a more positive outlook, to be a little bit more flexible when things don't go as planned. And that results in being a little bit more hopeful. I can keep my eyes looking forward. I can keep my eyes looking to the cross, Jesus, who has done so much for us, and his plans are always good for us as well. And it's this idea that our circumstances shouldn't affect our hope, but our hope can affect how we view our circumstances. Let that sink in just for a moment. Our circumstances shouldn't affect our hope, but our hope, where we place our hope, can affect how we view our circumstances. You see, for the Christian, true hope is found in Jesus. True hope is found in Jesus, who doesn't change, but who remains the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. For the Christian, we put our hope and our trust in God because he is faithful. He will do what he says. His promises are always yes and amen in Christ. He has a positive outlook. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Romans 8, 28, that God works all things out for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. There are many examples in the Bible in which God brought really good from really unfortunate circumstances. We can see um, by looking at a man named Joseph. You know, Joseph with a coat of many colors. You know, his brother sold him into slavery. He was put down into a pit. He probably thought life was done. He thought there was no more hope. But then he was actually sold into slavery. And so he served as a slave. He was put into prison. He was wrongfully mistreated. 
But later on in his life, through God's provisions and God's timing, he actually became the second person in command of all of Egypt, just underneath Pharaoh. And later on in Joseph's life, in Genesis 50, 20, this is what he says. He says, you intended to harm me, talking about his brothers, but God meant it for good, the saving of souls. You intended to harm me, but God meant it for good, the saving of souls. And it's this idea that when God is involved, there are no hopeless situations, but always hopeful solutions. When God is involved, when we put our trust and our hope in him, there are no hopeless situations, but there are always hopeful solutions found in God. So today, we're talking about hope, the hope that God provides, the source and the conditions that lead to true lasting hope. And I believe regardless of what you are experiencing, there is a hope that God provides a peace that surpasses all understanding, strength to persevere during uncertainty, to get us through difficult and confusing times. And so before we go any further, what is hope? What is hope? Most people understand hope as wishful thinking. It's that wish upon a star. I hope it doesn't snow. I hope I don't run out of gas. I hope that I get this promotion. But that is not the biblical definition of hope. The biblical definition of hope is a confident expectation. A confident expectation regarding things that are unknown or unclear to us, but known to a powerful and merciful God. Things that are unknown, unclear, you know, we don't know two steps ahead, but we know that God knows. God is outside of time. He sees past, present and future. Biblical hope speaks of something that is certain, but maybe not yet fully realized yet. For instance, the Christian understands that what saves a person is faith in Jesus Christ. And we believe that when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, one day we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. We know this to be true, but we haven't fully realized it just yet through personal experience. You see, hope is rooted in faith. Faith is demonstrated trust. And so, in other words, it is trustful hope in God. Trustful hope in God that God's plans are good, that he's still in control. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, for the Christian, hope is confidence. God is in control. God has a plan. Even though we don't know how it will work out, when it will work out, we have confidence that God is still in control, and he can still bring good from any situation. And so, are you overwhelmed? <laughs> Or maybe you're a little bit tired of the restrictions and things that are going on. Or maybe you're a little bit confused. You don't know what step to take next. Maybe you're a little bit sad. I believe there is true and lasting hope that is available and will not deplete during hard and difficult times, but rather the opposite. I believe that during difficult and hard times, it can actually strengthen our hope because we're placing our hope in Jesus. The Apostle Paul 
understood this hope. He realized this hope. He practiced this hope. And he prayed for the church in Rome that they would experience this hope that comes from God in all aspects of their life as they trusted in him. And so our passage of scripture is just one verse. And we've said it many times here before, but we're going to unpack it. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a prayer of blessing that the Apostle Paul is praying for the Christians and the church living in Rome many years ago. And Paul highlights that God is both the source and the giver of eternal hope. He is the one who fills us. And there is a quantity to joy, peace, and hope. There's a quantity to it. And if we want to experience more hope, more joy and peace in our situations and our circumstances, we need to trust God more. We trust God more to experience more his hope and his joy and his peace. You see, I'm thankful to be part of a church, a church family like New Hope Kingston and Kentville, that heavily emphasizes the word hope. We can see it in the lobby, you know, the the hope sign. And this isn't just, you know, a nice decoration, but every light that is lit represents somebody's hope. Their eternal destination is changed for the better, to spend eternity with God. I'm choosing to put my trust in God. Even though things around me may seem chaotic, I trust that God is in control and that God has a plan. Jesus said in John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, in the Bible, light is a revealer. It's a guide. It's a comfort. It's a symbol of holiness. And it is associated with being hopeful. Light is associated with being hopeful. But in contrast, darkness represents, you know, hopelessness. Typically describes in the Bible something that is evil or sinful or being in despair. It represents a dark place. But Jesus describes himself as light that shines hope into the darkness of this world. There is a better and more fulfilling way to live found in him. So, are you or someone that you know in a dark place, filled with hopelessness and despair? Do you find maybe that you have no hope in this season of COVID? Have you turned to maybe people or substances, something else to maybe fill that void of hope only to be let down? Or maybe you have some hope and some optimism about the future, but you have lingering doubts and questions. Well, for the Christian, there is tremendous reason to be hopeful There's a tremendous reason to be optimistic because our first point is this. True hope is found in God. True hope is found in God. Remember, hope is the anticipation of better days ahead. And so where do we look for hope? Where do we look for hope? Our hope is not found in the government. Our hope is not found in people or places or things because Objects break, substances run out, 
people disappoint and people pass away. But true hope is found in God because Hebrews 13.8 reminds us that he remains the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's faithful. You can count on him because he doesn't change. He does not break. God doesn't run out and he doesn't pass away. He is real and you can experience his hope today. You see, our hope is rooted in God because he's able to provide better days. God is able to provide better days, both in the present and the anticipation of something to look forward to in the future. And notice how Paul describes God at the beginning of the prayer. He says, may the God of hope, may the God of hope. This hope comes from the Greek word elpis, which means confidence, expectation, to anticipate what is good. Paul uses this title of God to remind his readers that God is both the source of hope as well as the object of hope too. He's both the one who gives hope and he's also the one that we look to for our hope. You see, God's character is hopeful. God always has a positive outlook. God gives hope. He inspires optimism and a hopeful outlook to Christians when they look to him. Hope is both a gift from God and it's the natural result of trusting in him. Hope is both a gift from God and the natural result of trusting him. You see, true hope is found in God because God keeps his word. God keeps his word. In a world that makes empty promises, in a world that is okay with not valuing integrity, lying to maybe get out of a situation, we can find hope in God because he's powerfully able to do what he said. God is powerfully able to do what he said. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. And I wonder if one of the reasons why the world is so skeptical, skeptical is because we've been lied to so many times by people in positions of authority. I wonder why we're so skeptical and cynical is because we've been lied to straight to our face. And we don't have to look too far from, and I'm not trying to poke fun of people in positions of authority, but it could be somebody like politicians or leaders or coaches, and unfortunately it can even be parents too. You see, a number of years ago, um, someone spoke pretty rudely to me. And I'll describe it as like I was completely torn apart. Um, I had no hope. I felt like I was just completely drained. They just ripped me to shreds. And I was in a pretty low spot. And I went to the leader at that time, and I told them what had happened and how I was um, handling the situation, which was not pretty good. And uh, I was pretty crushed in spirit. And so I told the leader, you know, what had happened. And the leader indicated that they would talk to the person. You know, talk to the person. I trusted the leader, and I trusted their word. Unfortunately, the conversation never happened. The conversation never happened. And the leader didn't keep their word. The result? I had little hope in the leader that they were going to do what was right and to keep their word. Why do I share that? I share that not to embarrass the leader, but failing to keep our word indicates a character problem. 
a character issue, and it devalues other people. Every time that we don't follow through on our word, it negatively affects us. One of the ways it affects us is through pride. I can change my mind if I want to. My time is more important. I said I was going to do this, but this is, this is more important, and so I'm just going to forget about that. And it affects how other people view us, too. If we said we were going to do something and we didn't do it, we become not trustworthy anymore. You see, keeping our word is linked to trust. And you see, we can put our hope in God because our confidence is in his faithfulness to fulfill his word. We can put our hope in God because our confidence is in his faithfulness. Deuteronomy 7.9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is faithful. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. God is 100% dependable and trustworthy. And how much clearer does God's word need to be in Hebrews 6.18 that says, God is, it is, sorry, it is impossible for God to lie. Hebrews 6.18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. You see, one example of God's faithfulness to keep his word is in the life of Abraham. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. God promised that he would make Abraham into a great nation. His name would become great and that he promised that he would have many, many descendants. Abraham saw many of God's promises come true. You know, the promised land and many descendants. But the book of Hebrews gives insight to Abraham's character in waiting for God to fulfill his promises. Hebrews 6.15 says, After waiting patiently, Abraham received what he was promised. After waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. This word patience comes from the Greek word makromeo, which means long-suffering, forbearance. It maybe even includes not retaliating in anger to God of, God, you said you were going to do this. You promised, and where is your fulfillment to this? In other words, Abraham needed to be patient in his situation and during his struggles while waiting for God to fulfill his promises. Abraham needed to exercise patience in his situation, during his struggles and oppositions, and people maybe telling him to just give up on God. You know, he's, he's not going to fulfill this. He exercised patience. You see, God's promises are always fulfilled in his way, his time. Therefore, if we have a hard time waiting on God to keep his word, maybe we need to ask ourselves, Whose will are we really seeking to please? Whose will are we really seeking to please? Is it ours or is it God's? So why is true hope found in God? Because it's based upon who God is and who God is never changes. Psalm 145, 13 says, The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all that he does. And there's a phrase we say in church, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. God's goodness is who he is, not just what he 
does. And so what does this mean for us today? Well, for those who put their trust and their hope in God, God promises that you will be helped. Psalm 121 says, I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. Those who put their hope and their trust in God experience his power to deliver or to provide or to protect, or maybe his strength to persevere through the circumstance as well. An opportunity to grow in character, to mature us, and this in turn produces hope. Maybe for the second, those who put their hope in God will not be disappointed. Romans 5.5 5 says, and hope does not lead to disappointment. Those who put their hope in God will never ultimately be disappointed or let down. God's help may not come in our time and or our manner and or in our way, but when it comes, it's exactly what we needed. Exactly what we needed. And see, those who put their hope in God are bold in their faith. Those who put their hope in God are bold in their faith. 2 Corinthians 3.12 says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we, Christians, God's people, we are very bold. You see, boldness is tied to our convictions and our beliefs. We can only be truly bold about something if we're convinced that what we believe is true. We can only be as bold as what we believe to be true. And those who put their hope in God can be bold and they can say things like, God's calling to me, God's calling me to do this. I may not fully understand, but with his help and his strength, I believe he's in control and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to take a step of faith, demonstrating my trust in him. It's this idea that it's our foundation that keeps us from crumbling. It's our foundation that keeps us from crumbling. And you can see that in Matthew 7, 24 to 27, when Jesus talks about the wise and the foolish builder, those who listen to what he says and practically put it into practice are those that build upon the solid rock, the firm foundation of who God is. But those who do not listen and those who do not put it into practice, what Jesus says are like those who build their life upon the sand. And when the storms of life come, they're washed away. You see, when we put our hope in God and believe He is faithful, He's trustworthy, God will keep us from a state of hopeless despair. Because we're not just wishful thinking, a wish upon a star, but we're confidently expecting that God is working out a plan, ultimately for our good. And because I don't need to know all the situations and all the information, I trust that God's in control and that's enough for me. And so who do you put your hope in? Who do you put your hope in? Those who put their hope in God, we sang it a little bit earlier, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, Hebrews 6, 19. Our second point, God is faithful. He keeps his word. And if we want to experience that all that God has for us, hope is experienced as we trust in God. Hope is experienced in our life as we trust in God. You see, the word trust is a firm belief in the reliability, the strength, the truth, the ability of someone or something. 
And the easiest example is putting our trust in that chair, you know, that, that it won't break, that someone built that to hold us. It'll be strong enough and it won't collapse. And you see, in the Bible, faith and trust are interchangeable. Faith and trust are the same word. Trusting in God is not wishful thinking or based upon no evidence, but God asks us to trust him in three areas. God asks us to trust him in his ability, his character, and his promise. God does not expect blind faith, but God expects us to trust him in his ability, his character, and his promise. And so let's unpack this. His ability. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus says, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. God is omnipotent. He has limitless resources. He is the cattle on a thousand hills. He has tens of thousands of angels at his disposal that he can say in just a moment to come and to rescue and to deliver. God healed a man named Lazarus who was dead in a grave for four days. And when he said, Lazarus, come out, just like that, Lazarus came back to life. God was able to protect three young boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for standing up for God, for being faithful to not bow down and to worship any other idols. When they were thrown into a fiery furnace, they came out without smelling of smoke or burnt. God miraculously protected them. God provided um, food for multiple 5,000 plus people with just a few loaves of bread and fish. Nothing is too big or too small for our God. He has an incredible ability to do the miraculous, the supernatural. But God's character, too. It's one, it's one thing to have faith in someone that is strong. You know, it's one thing to have faith in someone that is strong. But if that person doesn't have a reputable character, you won't trust them. If that person doesn't have a reputable, reputable character, you won't trust them. Galatians 5.22 talks about the character traits of God. They're called the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It describes the character of who God is. God is patient. He's loving. He's kind. He's generous. He's faithful, and he's just. Psalm 103.8 says, "...the Lord is compassionate and gracious." slow to anger, but abounding in love. And I'm sure there are people here today who can speak to experiencing God's character, his forgiveness, his love, his grace that maybe was totally undeserving. And we also trust God's promise. God never promised an easy and a wealthy life. <laughs> God never promised an easy and a wealthy life, but he promised his presence. He promised his ability. He promised that he, in fact, has already won. We say things like we're not fighting for a victory, but we're fighting from a victory, that death has already been defeated. And so we know that God has not promised an easy and a wealthy life, but we know that he has promised that his presence will be with us. We know that he has already won. We know that in all seasons of life, his grace is sufficient. We know that when we see a rainbow, that's a promise that God will never flood the earth ever again. We know that God promised that for those who ask of wisdom, that it will be given to them in James 1.5. We know that God will give assistance in temptations in Hebrews 2.18. We trust God's ability, his character, and his promise. 
And I came across this quote this week that goes something like this. Most people believe their doubts and doubt their beliefs. Most people believe their doubts and doubt their beliefs. And it's this idea that if the devil can make us question or doubt God's ability, his character, or his promise, we won't trust him. If the devil can make us doubt God, we won't trust him. And I can give you all the reasons to trust God. I can give you all the reasons to trust God. But until you actually put it into practice to demonstrate your trust, we will not fully experience the hope that God wants to give to us when we exercise trust. When we exercise trust. Trust is difficult. Trust is difficult. But trust in God is not the absence of fear or doubts. But trust in God is choosing to believe he's good. He is able to intervene. And his promises are trustworthy, even though I may not fully understand what he's doing. And notice what Paul says is the condition to experiencing hope. Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Trust comes from the Greek word pasteo, which means faith, confidence, a reliance upon God. This is a verb. This is an action word. While it is God who provides the hope, it is our continual confidence of choosing to put our trust in God that allows us to experience his hope, his joy, and his peace. And so what is this joy that God gives to those who trust in him? Well, it comes from the Greek word kareo, and it's different than happiness. It's different than happiness. Joy is not contingent upon our situations, but it is an inner contentment. All is right. All is good. A deep sense that God is still in control. The results of those who put their trust in God is a cheerful heart. A cheerful heart in all seasons of life. We can continue to give thanks, praise, and look to God because the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And God promises this peace, too. It comes from the Greek word areo. And this is not a symbol you know, that we make with our hands, but it's assurance and it's confidence. And I like one des- description of this word. It means to be undisturbed. Undisturbed. Unlike worldly peace, which is usually defined as the absence of conflict, God's peace is assurance that he is still in control in the most troubling of times. And maybe this example might help you a little bit. Peace is like balance on a teeter-totter. Peace is like balance on a teeter-totter. You know, on one side, bad things, you know, kind of press down on one side. But God's calming presence on the other side keeps us in a state of rest, being balanced, undisturbed. Conflicts and problems are still there, but God's presence, his peace, balances our emotions. God's peace, to be undisturbed, balances our emotions. And notice the amount of joy and peace that Paul prays for. He says, for God to fill you 
with all joy and peace, to capacity, to continually refill you as you trust in God. Therefore, if we're lacking in hope, joy, and peace, when did we stop trusting in God? If we're lacking in hope, joy, and peace in our life, when did we stop trusting in God? And if at all possible, we need to go back to that point. Maybe we need to apologize. Maybe we need to humble ourselves and make the wrong right. We can trust God because he sees things from an entirely different perspective than we do. And he invites us to be patient, to trust and obey in him. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. And I've said this before, and I've often heard it said, it's not that our perspective is wrong, it's that our perspective is not complete yet. God is still working out a plan, and we can trust that his plan is good. And so what does this mean for us today? Is there an area in your life that you need to release and to trust God with? For many of us, when things are out of control, we try to take control instead of releasing control. Let me say that again. For many of us, when things are out of control, we try to take control instead of releasing control to God. And I love this passage of Scripture in Psalm 46.10. It says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Relax. Wait. Know. Which is more than just comprehend, but it's actually action. It's to let go to let God. Let go to let God. Corey ten Boom is quoted as saying, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. So our third and our final point, if we want to experience more hope and joy and peace, we trust God's ability, his character and promise. And our third point, hope comes in varying quantities from God. Hope comes in varying quantities from God. In the same way that you can have a glass empty, half full, full, or even overflowing, hope has quantities as well. Notice the quantity of hope that Paul prays for, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. To overflow, to exceed the ordinary, to overflow over and above a, a surplus you see, what happens when you overfill something? Well, it spills out. You know, it spills out. And that is exactly the point of God filling us with hope so that we overflow and we spill out hope to other people. It's not just meant for us too, but the overflowing is to share it with other people. You know, sometimes people can feed off of our hope, our joy, and our peace. They sense that maybe we're calm in conflict, and because we're calm, I can be calm too. But the opposite is also true too. If we're anxious, if we are in distress, if we're fearful, that can overflow and spill out into other people as well too. Therefore, it's important to know what we are allowing to, to fill us, because inevitably what will fill us will eventually come out. Jesus says it in a pretty interesting way in Luke 6, 4. Luke 6, 45, he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
And so what are we pouring into our life? Because inevitably it will be poured out. And so notice the source of the overflowing hope that Paul talks about. It's not us mustering up strength, but overflowing is produced by the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get the English word dynamite, force, power, strength. It's God's strength, his enablement to live a pure and a holy life. It's his enablement and his presence and his strength for effective service to share and to talk about the God of hope. Remember, joy and peace are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace. Remember? And so Jesus says in John 15, 5, he says, Whoever remains in me will bear much fruit. Whoever remains in me will bear much fruit. And our experience of overflowing hope is made possible by the Holy Spirit's power. The Christian life is God's empowering presence. It's not us just mustering up strength. It's not us just saying, all right, here we go. No, it's us connecting to the source. It's us connecting to the source and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. And when we do, we experience a greater quantity of God's hope, his joy, and his peace. Earlier, I mentioned that one of the ways we describe hope is through light. And God gave me this illustration, and maybe this might be a little bit helpful for you. What does a flashlight do? Well, we know what a flashlight does. You know, it, it guides, it, it, it comforts, it illuminates the darkness. But how effective is a light without a battery? Not at all. It's not going to shine a light at all. We need the source of power for the light to shine. You know, some lights flicker. Some lights are a little bit dull. Some lights are, in fact, very bright. And it's contingent upon the connection to the power. It's contingent upon the connection to the power. The point is this. When we connect to God, we can be refilled, hopeful, and shine bright because it's the source of power, God, that never runs out, that's able to shine bright and through us. Matthew 5, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine bright for others to see, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heavens. In other words, overflow with hope, let your light shine and point people to Jesus. And so what does this mean for, for us today, this third point? Well, for some, maybe you sense that your cup is not overflowing. Maybe it's half full. Maybe it's empty. Maybe you're not very hopeful. Well, there is a solution. You can be refilled, hopeful, and shine bright by connecting to the source, which is God. Because what we connect to, what we pour into our life will ultimately be reproduced and poured out of our life. So what have we been talking about? Well, our first point was that true hope is found in God. And the point is this, God will not lie. God keeps his word. 
However, his timing and in his way of helping may be different than what we expect, but it will always be exactly what we need. Go to God and trust his faithfulness. Our second point is that hope is experienced as you trust in God. And the point is this, God doesn't expect blind faith, but he asks us to trust his ability, his character, and his promise. And our third point is that hope comes in varying quantities from God too. And the point is this, the more we connect, the more that we surrender to God, the greater our faith in God will be, which results in a greater hope, joy, and peace to the point of overflowing. What are we connecting to? Who are we trusting? Who are we looking to for our hope? As we close here, just I wanted to challenge us uh, with something this week. And it's actually on the back of your outline if you have an outline. And I believe we can experience a greater degree of God's hope when we trust in Him. And so what I, I would encourage you this week to do three things, to really put this into practice. The first one is this. Find a Bible promise. Find a Bible promise that applies to your current setting. What has God said that he would do for us? Memorize. Write that scripture down and that promise down upon your heart. That when we're in those difficult situations, we can remind ourselves of God's promise, what he said that he will do for us. But also, make a list of the character traits of God. What is true about God? What can we expect about God, given what he is like? And third... Reflect upon God's power and his ability. His faithfulness throughout scripture, being with the Israelites, God's people, the disciples, maybe even looking upon your life too, how God has worked faithfully with you. Reflect upon God's power and his ability. Remind yourself that God is faithful and his power is always sufficient. He's always able to provide exactly what we need. I believe If you do these three things, asking the Holy Spirit to guide your thinking and your study, I suspect you will experience a greater degree of God's hope in your life. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you do not change, but that you remain the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God, we thank you that your word is trustworthy. We thank you that you invite us to trust you in three areas. You don't expect blind faith, but to trust your ability, your character, and your promise. And so, Jesus, I thank you um, just for your presence I thank you that your grace is sufficient in all seasons of life. And so, God, I pray that you would fill your people. I thank you for just their willingness just to come and just to um, be part of this church family. And Jesus, you know exactly what situation they're in. You know the struggles. You know the doubts. You know the fears. And Jesus, I believe perfect love casts out all fear. 
Jesus, you are loving, you are kind, you are faithful, and you are patient. And so, Lord, we look to you for our hope. I pray that you'd fill your people to the point of overflowing, that they would overflow to those around them, that they would point people to who you are. And we'll make sure to give you the thanks and praise that you're due. And all God's people said, amen.